We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Zen Nicotine Pouches deliver nicotine satisfaction anywhere, anytime. Which means Zen pairs well with you, your personality, your schedule, and your spontaneity. Zen fits easily into your bag, pocket, and into your life because it's smoke-free, hands-free, and hassle-free. So the only person who will know you have a Zen pouch in is you. Visit Zen.com or head to your local convenience store today to find your Zen. Warning, this product contains nicotine. Nicotine is an addictive chemical. Hey there, Knicks fans. How you doing? It's once again not your boy Jonathan Macri, but your boy Andrew Claudio here with another episode of the Knicks Film School Podcast. We are less than a week away from John making his triumphant return to the show. For those wondering where John has been, check out the newsletter from Monday. John gave a very uh, pretty big life update in which he will now be recording from a new location in a new part of New York. And that is all I will say about that. If you want to send John your well wishes, just check out the newsletter from Monday. And I'm sure he'd be happy to oblige you with a comment and response or a thank you or whatever. All that being said, uh, who is here on this episode is the one and only Jeremy Cohen, who is going to have a conversation with John Schmelk of WFAN's The Bank Shot. It's their Knicks podcast, or I should say his Knicks podcast, in which he, he really breaks down the NBA and then breaks down the Knicks as a guest on all the time. They're currently on a hiatus because John also works with the New York Giants on their show All In NYG. So while he's been working with the Giants throughout training camp and throughout the preseason, he hasn't really talked much about the Knicks, which is why we gave him the platform to do so here on this show. And it all led to a conversation at the end of this episode in which we ranked all of the New York sports teams in order of closest to a championship. And it was cool to see where the Knicks and the Giants ranked among that list. And full disclosure, this conversation happened on Monday and me being the downtrodden New York Mets fan in the middle of controversy, I went off a bit. And of course, as I'm recording this at 10.16 on Tuesday night, 
you're getting to hear this episode and the conversation, more specifically the frustrations that I voiced at the end, uh, after the Mets had one of their best days of the season and have roped me back in and you gotta believe and we're going to the ship all of these hopes that I'm now going to have are going to come crashing down. All that to say, it's a fun conversation, regardless of how some of it might not have aged the best over the last 48 hours. And I think you'll enjoy it. John's very knowledgeable. Check out his podcast, The Bank Shot. Check out all of his stuff with the New York Giants. And thank you again, John, for coming on. And without further ado, here is John Schmelk with Jeremy Cohen here on the Knicks Film School podcast. Joining me on the Knicks Film School podcast is a guest who needs no introduction, but we're going to do it anyway. Uh, I need one. You're right. I, yeah, okay. I think it's I think it's <laughs> worthwhile. Um, he, he hosts multiple podcasts, uh, Big Blue Kickoff Live, Giants Huddle Podcast, both of those for the New York Giants, the New York football Giants, I should add, uh, and Bank Shot Knicks Podcast. Uh, and now that's shot with an O, not an I. Um, yeah. <laughs> well done. He uh, he's a wonderful person. Uh, we had to get someone named John to you know while Jonathan Macri is out, but this one starts with an H, as in of course H J O N. Uh, Jonathan Schmilk, John Schmilk, how are you doing, man? I'm great, and that is the only proper way to spell John. By the way, just just for the record, H J O N, of course. Yeah, of course. Yes, yeah. <laughs> absolutely. Uh, well, thank you so much. First of all, I have to ask. So, how did everything go in New England? Obviously the Giants fell short um, against the Patriots, but how was the experience? It was good. We were we were in Cleveland in New, in New England up there in Providence for like eight of ten days, so it was exhausting. It was like felt like about one hundred and ten degrees up there. It was really hot. I don't know how these guys ran around for two hours. I stood there for two hours and I felt like I was going to pass out. So it was good. I'm happy to finally get some real games coming up in a couple of weeks here. Uh, I'm tired of watching practice and preseason. Let's let's get some real NFL football action going here. Well, it's great. I mean, I guess that there's an extra NFL regular season game. That's yeah. one less preseason game for you to have to cover. One more, you know, exciting game. But um, we'll get to the Giants, I promise. But first, you know, Knicks podcast figure might as well talk about the Knicks. And let's start with the Knicks offseason. So, John, I know you and I have talked about this before, um, but give me your thoughts on the Knicks offseason and where you felt the team's direction is kind of going how you're confident, maybe not as confident, kind of general idea about everything going on with all things New York basketball. I think they did the best they could. Now, that doesn't mean it's like an A-plus because I don't think the A-plus offseason was realistically available to them. So I think they did great. I mean, the Kemba Walker contract might be the best value of any contract this offseason. He might not be healthy, but at $8 million, I mean, can you really go wrong with the risk? I don't think you can. And you hope between Walker and Rose, you get you know, maybe they missed 40 games between the two of them. I think that'd probably be a win. So I think you solved, at least temporarily, a big part of your point guard issues, which I think was a big part of this offseason. I think you improved your shooting between the draft and, and what they did in free agency as well. Uh, you lost Reggie Bullock, you lost you defensively, but I think uh, they replaced him well enough with, with what they did elsewhere. And I think they just set themselves up well for the next move. And I think the important things that Nick fans have to realize, you know, I, before last season, I was still on board with the get the high draft pick and, you know, try to get your next star that way because it's hard to, I think it's probably the most feasible way to find one, even though a lot of luck is involved in it. But once Julius Randle took the step that he did, 
I think we were at the point where that strategy no longer held water and it just wasn't going to work because if you have an all NBA player on your roster and RJ Barrett's going to make the improvement that he did, you were never going to be bad enough to get a good enough pick to get a superstar in the draft, barring some, you know, Clay Thompson, Kawhi Leonard level of luck, which frankly just doesn't happen very often and you can't count on. So with that said, I think the Knicks did the best they could in setting themselves up for what their strategy is now going to be. They're not going to have cast space for two years and that's fine. So they're basically saying we're going to make that next step by trading for a superstar. So I think every move they did this off season was with that in mind and the contracts and the way they structured them will allow that to happen. Would I have loved Derek Rose and Nerlens Noel and Alec Burks on one year deals instead of two year deals? Sure but I don't think you could have gotten them on one year deal. So again, it goes back to the best off season that was available to them argument, because I do think you had to balance continuity because you wanted to, you know, try to build a little bit on what you did last year, but at the same time, get better and set yourself up to take that next step, which is acquiring a superstar. And I think for the most part, they balanced those two parts of their off season as best as they could. And now you just wait for a superstar to get annoyed and ask for a trade. And really Nick fans, that's where we're at. And, you know, it seems every single season or off season, there is a superstar who says, you know what? I've had enough. I want to go elsewhere. Um, the, the fact about with Rose and Burks and Noel, and really any of the guys who maybe the argument could have been with a one-year contract, knowing what we know now, because at the time, how would we have known it? Um, but considering what the free agency landscape looks like, where you have two phenomenal all-star um, free agents who are, you know, who one who will definitely hit the market in Zach Levine because he's not eligible to even sign a 30% max contract until the offseason anyway. The other in Bradley Beal, who could resign for 35% max with the Wizards. And then it's just a lot of the other guys. So, I mean, considering how it's like what TJ Warren, Aaron Gordon, um, Joe Ingles, that type of tier, are you comfortable with the fact that? they have had multiple years or are you still kind of like, you know, I know that that's the case, but man, you could just create room and do other things with that without having to clog it up with rotation guys. Yeah. Look, I would have, I would have, I could get them on one year. I would have been fine with that. Then, you, you know, if you want to resign the guys next year, you can, because I do think it is easier to bring in a star when you don't have to completely match salary and you can absorb some of that into your cap space. I do think that makes things a little bit easier. So yeah, ideally, but again, I don't think you could have gotten those guys on one year deal. So I think we're arguing against a, a factual that's just not there. So yeah, I would prefer to be able to absorb them into space. And I think it gives you flexibility to do other things during the season too, with guys on expiring deals, but given to your point, Next year's free agency landscape, it's really not as big of a deal to me. And with a guy like Levine, to your point, if he hits the open market, if Bill hits the open market, you can swing sign in trades for those guys. And the price in those sign in trades is not going to be high because of obviously the circumstances involved and those sign in trade deals, you're never getting commensurate value back anyway. So, no, not that big of a deal. Ideally, sure. But again, I, I don't think that was possible given the, the landscape. Agreed. And I think also the fact that those players are under contract for what would really be the 2022 draft. If something right. were to happen where there's, you know, forgetting, obviously, Levine, uh, Beal could be traded if he opted in. But Levine aside, of course, you know, being able to use the money to make a move, whereas if it were one year deals and it's like, well, we're in a hold, we can't really do anything. So but but I see the logic to that as well. Um, so other than those three contracts, I guess, is there anything 
that you would have done differently if you were uh, Leon Rose or Brock Aller or whoever wants to be in charge in the case? Well, I mean, I think maybe you could have done. I think one of the things you brought up in, in a prior podcast, Jeremy, is, is the Derek Favors trade where they could have absorbed him and then gotten a pick for him. I think that makes a lot of sense. Otherwise, I mean, I think you can argue, you know, it was Fournier the ideal guy. Would you have preferred, you know, to go after one of the other guys that plays a similar position, right? Um, Powell, do you like him better than Fournier? Somebody like that. And that's more of a player preference deal in terms of what you're looking for. The thing about Fournier is I think he's been asked to play a role that he's not suited to in Orlando. And we've seen that and multiple end of game situations actually against the Knicks when they've given him the ball, go run a pick and roll and create something. It doesn't go well for him. And I think we saw that in the Olympics, right? When you played the U.S. in the gold medal game and you said, all right, go get a bucket. And they put their best defender on him. It wasn't happening. And he's forcing up these terrible shots. So. The good thing about the Knicks is that he's their third or fourth guy, depending on how you view the point guards and RJ and Julius Randle. So I think it's a good fit for him. He's more of an attack closeouts guy, a catch and shoot guy, secondary pick and roll type of guy where you're not relying on him to be your primary perimeter threat. So I do think he's a pretty good fit with what the Knicks are going to try to do. But yeah, I mean, I can see arguments for some of those other wings that were out there that you would prefer those guys, but I thought they got Fournier on what was a pretty market value contract where if you have to move him at some point, you can certainly move him. Agreed. And of course, I mean, based on the fact that uh, Fournier and RJ can speak French together, <laughs> it's pretty, it's pretty important. I think, you know, how many teams have starting wings who can speak French? Well, it's you, have, you have to have at least one. one Frenchman on the Knicks at all times. I of mean, course. Yes. Yeah. You had to fill the quota. Yeah, exactly. Um, but speaking of RJ Barrett player, speaks French. Um, you know, there's been much, much ado about kind of what RJ will be, what he could be. The fact that now there's more talent around him. Does that benefit him? But does it also maybe hold him back in a certain way? Because there's only one basketball and RJ can certainly play off the ball, but we want to see him play more on the ball and excel because that's where a lot of his value is going to be. So I'm going to throw you a bit of a curveball instead okay. of kind of what to project or expect from RJ. What would you identify as maybe being more of a disappointing season from R.J. Barrett? Oh, that's a good question. Um, I don't think he took the jump he needed to take as a guy that's going to create his own shot. And to me, that still ultimately is him being able to create high percentage looks for himself. Now, in the pick and roll, and, he, and if he gets downhill in a straight line, he can get stuff going towards the basket, draw a foul, finish with his left hand. And I thought he did get a little more crafty around the rim last year. And that's why his at the rim percentage went up all good things for him. But do I trust, you know, give RJ Barrett the ball in an isolation situation with 15 seconds to go in a tie game at the end of the game? No, I don't trust him to do that. We saw him try to do that. I believe it was a Pacers game and he got stripped by a power forward on a switch if I recall that game properly. And that play sticks in my mind. And I just, here's the thing with RJ for me. And this goes back to, to where I think he was maybe a little disappointing last year. I still think there is a athletic limitation with him. He's not explosive at the rim. If he has a runway on a fast break, yeah, he gets big power dunks and everything. But in these short areas, he's not explosive. And I don't think he's very twitchy side to side, which is why I think in those one-on-one -on -one situations, he has trouble getting that separation from the defender that you need, which is why we see him so often, Jeremy, trying to take layups into a defender's chest. He can't turn the corner, get his shoulder around and get a clear path to the rim. Now, 
Can you still be a more efficient offensive player without that elite athleticism? Yes, but it's very difficult. You have to become an elite pull-up shooter. We've seen progress. He's not there yet. You have to be really crafty at the rim. Euro steps, changing direction, little underhanded scoop shots, things like that to make up for that lack of elite athleticism. So that for me is still the ultimate question with RJ when you talk about his ceiling, whether or not he's ever going to be the guy that you can give the ball to and tell me, go get me a bucket, or if he's going to be, which I think is the best end game, in my opinion, for him, the Mr. Do Everything for a team. All right, you need to get a basket off movement. Great. You want to cut to the basket? Great. Catch and shoot a three. Awesome. Um, take advantage of a mismatch on a switch in the post. Great. Attack a closeout on a kickout. Awesome. You know, be a, a secondary or, or tertiary playmaker. Like to see him improve his passing a little bit. Great. Be a really good defensive player. You can match up on twos, threes, or fours. Great. That, to me, is where he's going to wind up. I'm, I'm not sure unless, again, he completely hits on all these other areas offensively. He's going to be that guy where you can give the ball to a few times a game and say, just go get me a bucket. I largely agree on all of your points. And I think the one great thing is with the two kind of main points being the pull-up shooting and finishing, especially maybe probably with the right hand as well, since he is left-hand dominant. Uh, those are the two things that his trainer, Drew Hanlon, has said yeah. he's going to be working on this summer. This was maybe a couple months ago when he was interviewed saying this. So I think the nice thing with RJ is that it's never a question of whether he is willing to do it. If there's a limitation, it's just because maybe he's physically incapable of doing it, not he doesn't have the mental fortitude or the motivation to do that. Um, so agreed. I, you know, I think that's all of that makes sense. And I did also, if we're talking about sort of end of game plays, I thought that um, like what they did when they ran in, in uh, Miami, when they had Julius believe is the decoy. And then they got yep. the ball to RJ and he was this close to finishing with his left hand and it caught Miami by surprise. It just didn't convert. So and now Jeremy real quick on that play with the reason I think it worked too, is that they gave him a runway, right? They let him pick up speed up top and he had some separation from the defender from the defender when he started the play to pick up that speed to the basket. That's when he's at his best. Absolutely. Completely agree. Um, so we've got RJ, we've got Fournier, Randall, Kemba Walker, and, hopefully Mitchell Robinson. Um, the Knicks got better. Of course, so did several other teams in the East. Uh, do you see the enhanced competition as kind of reason for a projected regression? Do you feel that's kind of fair? I mean, obviously the Knicks were lights out from three for quite a long time. Uh, they defended the three really well. It's been at the rim well. Do you think it's fair to say that it's kind of a regression of sorts is coming their way, or it's simply just that, you know, other teams got better. The Knicks also got better. So maybe there won't be this big regression coming um, to New York. Do you mean regression just in terms of record or quality of play? I mean, I think they go hand in hand, but let's, uh, let's say record at this case, I suppose. I think the Knicks are a better team. I think they might have an identical or worse record simply because of the matchups. And I think the one thing nobody brings up with the regression during that crazy winning streak they had, people need to look at what Derrick Rose's stats were during that stretch when he Absolutely. shot around 55% from three and I think 60% from the field where that's just not going to happen again. The defense thing, I was a huge proponent earlier in the year of saying the three-point percentage was going to come back down to earth. And guess what? It did. After that start where teams are shooting 31%, they shot 35% the rest of the year. That's real. 
But here's the here's the good thing about that that people don't realize. The Nick defense, despite the fact that team shot four to five percent better from three, the Nick defense stayed good. So I think what you actually saw was the underlying parts of the defense actually improved as the season went along, which made that, you know, return to, you know, uh, regression to the norm in terms of the three point shooting, not matter. So I think the defense is going to be fine next year. I think you'll probably don't have as many good perimeter defensive players as you did last year. So maybe you see a little bit of a regression just from there. I think the rim protection is going to be good. I think Knicks will be fine defensively. Are they going to be number one in all those categories? No. Will they still be top five or six? Yeah, I think they will be. So that to me is not a thing. I think that Derek Rose thing's a problem. Uh, he's just not going to be that good for a long stretch as he was last year. I could see Randall not making quite as many extremely difficult contested two-point shots and contested three-point shots. You know, and again, I'm not saying back to, you know, David Fisdale Randall. I'm talking a happy medium between David Fisdale Randall and Tom Thibodeau Randall, right? Probably leaning more towards what he looked like with Thibodeau, but maybe not 42% from three. Maybe it's 39% from three, right? Something like that. So still good, just not great. I think RJ's catch and shoot stuff is real. I do. I, I don't think that's going to get much worse. So, I mean, I could see the Knicks finishing, you know, they were 10 games over 500. I mean, would it shock me if they went 46 and 36 next year? No, but the problem is that 46 and 36 might get them the seventh seed or the eighth seed next year because the East is better. So if that's regression, then yes. But would it also shock me if they went 43 and, you know, 38 or 39, whatever it would be, and they've, finish with the ninth seed. No, that wouldn't surprise me. And that's just a two win swing, which is the difference of what one or two made baskets at the end of the game. Is that really regression? Eh, I guess, but that's just kind of the way basketball goes, right? Absolutely. And I think also the one thing is if the Knicks don't perform as well, which I'm, you know, again, like, as you're saying, 10 games over 500, that's a really great feat, especially for a team that many were projecting to be, towards the bottom of the league. I'm curious what the conversations will be in regards to Reggie Bullock, Alfred Payton, any of the guys who are coming in, because there's going to be a drop-off maybe a little bit defensively, sure, between Fournier and Bullock, but I think offensively, the ability to create. Uh, and I thought Reggie Bullock, unless he's becoming the greatest shooter that we've seen in, in ages and how his defense, it's, it's good, but it's not like, oh my God, how did we lose this if you're in New York? Um, and that's the thing. If it stays consistent with Dallas, like I would imagine being on a poor defensive team, that's not exactly going to help uh, Reggie Bullock, the defender, at least the perception of his defense, his offense, maybe, you know, he's got a pretty great player next to him. Uh, and obviously, Chris Porzingis. So it's the sort of thing where he'll, he'll prosper in that way. But yeah, I, I mean, if you, if so, you're saying sixth or seventh, right? Maybe based on where they're at? Yeah, I would say somewhere between six and eight. I think that's probably where they're going to they're gonna fall. It'll be somewhere between 10 and four games over 500. I'd say somewhere in that area, give or take. That's fair. Yeah. So if we're taking that, because and you and I have talked about this before, because obviously the next step after the season is you need to try to get that star. Yep. So we've just talked, we've talked about uh, privately Levine and Beal and, and publicly, of course, because those are the two stars and we've just talked about on the podcast. So you are more, much more team Levine than you are team Beal in this makeup of the team. Tell us why. If you would ask me before the Westbrook trade, it might've been the opposite, to be honest with you before this, if you'd have talked to me back in May, I would have thought Beal was much more likely because I thought the Bulls, 
had made some moves that were going to make him better, right? You know, Vucevic, I thought, was a good move. But then I, I think they went off the rails a little bit this offseason. And I don't... And here's the problem. Zach Levine's not dumb. His agent's not dumb. If the Bulls don't become significantly better this year, and by significant, I mean like four or five seed good, and they're wallowing there. And again, wallowing maybe is a strong word, but if they're hanging out with the Knicks in the seventh, eighth spot, the Bulls have zero flexibility. They trade all their picks. They have no cap space. They can't add anybody. Zach Levine's going to see that. Why would he sign up for five more years of that while he's sharing the ball with DeMar DeRozan, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So I just think he's in a situation where he's going to get very unhappy very quickly with what's going on there, which is why I've shifted more to Levine. Meanwhile, I think Beal, I think the Wizards are going to be better. And I know all these NBA players say how much they love Russell Westbrook. I'm sorry, that dude can't be fun to play with. He just can't be. I don't care what anybody says. I've played with guys that play that way, obviously not to that level, but it's just not a fun game to, to, to be a part of, in my opinion. So the other thing about Beal, too, do we really know he wants? He seems oddly loyal to Washington. <laughs> I don't quite know why he just is. I don't get that sense from Zach Levine. So I just think there's a better chance that Levine is the fit just because the, the bulls right now seem to be more incompetently run than Washington does given that Westbrook trade and kind of what else they did this off season, which is why I think Levine right now is more likely, but would Beal surprise me if he, you know, come February 1st, he's asking for a trade. No, it wouldn't. I just think Levine based on what the bulls did this off season and how they've set up, Let's be honest, guys. Set up their next three years. I mean, we know what the Bulls are now for three years. I just don't see how how or why Zach Levine would sign up for, hey, give me some more of that. I agree. And I I feel like, what, maybe DeMar DeRozan and Patrick Williams have one season where they overlap, where Patrick Williams starts to take that next step, and DeMar DeRozan is still in his prime. And, you know, you could package maybe Lonzo and Patrick Williams, but then... What is that getting you? And you're right. depleting your team and you have to add picks most likely depending on the player. And they have two first round picks, one they acquired in the Lowry Markinen sign and trade and one by nature of you know the step in rule that they're allowed to trade. But I guess the one thing I'm personally curious about with Levine, and you could probably say this about Randall to an extent as well as this was a weird season. It was, you know, I mean, it's not like these players have have uh, never played basketball before and suddenly an open gym. I mean, we have years and years worth of data uh, behind it, but I understand the concept of, well, shooting, if it's up, we know about the bubble and all of that. But the difference with me, I guess, in my thinking is that Randall put his name on the dotted line and Levine didn't. And I think that Levine is still going to get a max contract because he just simply will barring some sort of injury. And even then I think the bulls they're they're all in there's a desperation factor, but I guess my question to you is from what you've seen with Levine this past season, do you feel very confident that that is simply like a stepping stone and, and he's going to continue to get better or still play at that level? Or do you have any sort of hesitancy about, you know, he's a great player. He's athletic. Um, I think I saw recently that he hasn't won four games in a row since UCLA. Of course, oh, basketball's wow. a team sport. Um, <laughs> you know, like that sort of mindset. Does that factor in at all? Or are you kind of just like on the other direction? Is it somewhere in the middle? Or where are you at? Yeah, because his offense was never a question for me, right? So, yeah, well, did he get better this year? Sure. But 
when I had hesitation of wanting to bring in Zach Levine before this year, it wasn't because, oh, I just don't think he's that efficient of an offensive player. You know, it's the other stuff. And something that makes me a little more optimistic about him, uh, I'm not sure if you heard Jeff Van Gundy on uh, the Zach Lowe podcast. I talked a lot about the Olympic team. And he raved about Zach Levine with the Olympic team. And he just said he was able to willing to take a side role, did all the things the coaching staff wanted him to. He was a really good soldier. And I wonder if he's hitting that maturity point now where he's understanding what it takes to win a little bit. And I think with a guy like Levine, in a lot of ways, it was always kind of mental with him, right? Where you kind of have to figure out exactly how to balance me with team offense and defense and what it takes to win. And I wonder if his Olympic experience maybe helped with that a little bit. So I think he's figuring it out. Could the bubble have helped his ridiculous nearly 50, 40, 90 shooting year? Absolutely. But offense is never the issue with him. I don't know. And maybe you guys have a better feel for this too. I've kind of tried to find stuff. I haven't what he feels about Thibodeau. You know, they have experience together. Obviously, I don't know what that relationship's like, but maybe if he's, you know, spent time around Greg Popovich and those type of guys, he's like, all right, maybe I'm now ready to be coached hard. And that's a good fit for me. And I've seen how Thibodeau has taken players like me. And I think Randall and Levine, to some extent, were similar, right? And where they were great numbers. People didn't know if they were can translate that those numbers to winning. So maybe he thinks Thibodeau can turn him into that type of guy. It's a good question. The good thing, though, is that we don't have to just decide on Zach Levine based off the bubble season, right? We're going to have another sample size coming up here, whether it's the trade deadline or the full year to get a better feel for it. So I think how he fits in with that roster will be interesting and and how much he's willing to share and try to make that team work rather than just trying to maximize his value, too. So I think we are in a bit of a wait and see process for Levine. But if I was asked right now, would I be willing to roll the dice on him on a max deal? My answer would be yes. Absolutely fair. And I think the one thing with him and Tibbs is that, you know, um, the season before Tibbs got there, Levine was playing 82 games. Tibbs arrives. Of course, it's the ACL tear season. But um, I think critics could point to the fact that Levine was playing 37 minutes a game. But that's I mean, to me, when I see that, it's like, again, you could tear your ACL very early on. Like Spencer Dinwiddie, he tore his ACL and he was in the third game of the season. And he really wasn't playing minutes. It's just the more you play, the more likely you are to be hurt. That's just the way it is, but it's not necessarily the reason for it. But I guess the point I'm getting to here is that the comments that Levine made in the past, they were about how he appreciated that Tibbs trusted him and he was often the go-to player. And even though with the ACL tear and being traded to the Bulls, it was kind of just like, well, this is still someone who believes in me, who empowered me made me a better player. And for that, I'm grateful. Uh, I'm paraphrasing. Is it lip service? Maybe. Who knows? Um, he could just be really good with the media and, and whatnot. But I, I don't think it is. I think he legitimately felt like he gained something there. And I think that's important. So, um, so we shall see with Zach Levine. But now I want to kind of transition more towards giant season, uh, football season, I guess, you know, if you will. Before um, we do that, can I throw one more thing in please, here? Yeah, if you've, yes. I know Macri, and I've, I read his newsletter. He's very high in Obi Toppin. I feel like he wouldn't trade Obi Toppin for like, you know, the name your NBA all-star. I don't get it. <laughs> I got to be <laughs> honest with you. Um, and, 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 and I'm probably going to make some Nick fans mad here. I'm going to ask you guys two questions. Mm-hmm. Can Obi Toppin consistently create his own shot and score? Uh, I have trouble seeing it happening consistently. I think he can do it as like a, a fringe 
starter if Julius Randle's not here, but um, I don't think it's the sort of thing where that's his bread and butter by any stretch. I agree. Um, what level of defender would you consider Obi Toppin? I think he was adequate enough. You yes. know, I mean, the high hips concern Agreed. was there, but hit him well. And I think he, that, that's where I was a little more impressed just because my expectations were down here. And I was like, oh, he can hold his own at moments. That's fine. I agree. So we're at adequate shot creator or maybe slightly below <laughs> adequate. We're at adequate defender. Um, we are at, let's say, adequate three point shooter at this point. You know, mm-hmm. adequate. He's OK. He's and fine. The spotting up's getting better. Yeah, absolutely. In the corner. And but- we're seeing improvement. All that's great. He's 24. He's an older rookie. So a guy that's adequate at three things and already 24 years old. Nick fans, prepare yourselves. If there's a big trade for a star, that dude's the first guy in the list going out of town. And it's not Obi's fault. If he's in a different team with a different opportunity without Julius Randle in front of him, maybe it could work. And by the way, my little secret thing, I think RJ Barrett can be a small ball four sometime soon. He's strong and can rebound the hell out of the ball. Where the heck is Obi? I mean, he's not playing center. You're not playing Randle a small forward. So what, you're not going to trade this guy to play 13 minutes a game? Because you know Randall's playing 35. Like Tom Thibodeau's still the coach, right? So it's not Obi's fault. It's not admitting he made a mistake. It's not saying Obi stinks. But it could not make more sense in the world for him to be the first guy on the train out when that trade happens. It's just the circumstance. And that's okay. It's not a bad thing. That's just the way it is. Had to say that piece. Thank you. No, and I agree. And I think the the funny thing as well about like um, when you're saying it's not his fault, I had an instant flashback to Goodwill Hunting where it's like, it's not his fault. It's not his fault no matter what. And I completely agree. I think that's one of the things uh, that John Macri and I agree on a lot of things often. That's the one thing where I think we're very uh, further apart is that for the same reasons, it's like because Randall's going to play and because we know that the Knicks are keeping him long-term they're not going to play Obi at the four and the five. And I've said this on this podcast before, but I'll, I'll say it again. They're not, they just don't have the interest of playing Obi and Randall together for extended minutes. They like that five who's a rim protector. So basically you're looking at Obi and you're saying like, this is someone where we're trying to maybe squeeze out productive minutes for what, maybe 16 minutes a game at, at most this year. Last year it was closer to 12, I think. And you're basically trying to look at it like, we can replace that talent. And, and you can, I mean, if you establish a way to get three, four, you know, legitimate good guys, and I'm saying like from, let's say above average starter to elite player, hopefully even on the scale of three all-stars, if you're able to do something or RJ Barrett sure. progresses, whatever it might be, you know, that's where the salary filler comes from is someone like Fournier, someone like Burke, someone like Noel, Maybe even someone like Mitch, depending on what they want to do, but also Obi Toppin. And, you know, again, like you want someone who can be a four and play 16 minutes a game. You can find that relatively easy. I think it's mostly just that as Knicks fans and because of the fact that we've seen so many players come and go. I mean, we're still talking about a Charlie Ward curse that's not going to end this year and it's certainly not going to end next year. So assuming that RJ Barrett stays, then it's like what since 99, that's the first year and it's, it'll be 2023. So we're talking about 24 years, which let's face it is longer than some of our listeners have been alive. Not me, not me. I am older than that, but for some of them. So the fact being there where if there's just not an avenue for him to go, 
it's easy to surmise why he would be on the way out. So I appreciate you saying that. And, and by the way, I appreciate and understand the sickness. I still want Frank Nielkina back on this roster. I get it. I mean, sure. I get it. Me I too. Get it. Yeah, I get it. So, and, but that, you know what though? And, I, and I've said this to John, John's who I go to, to talk to, have him on my podcast, the bank shot or talk to him on, you know, on the stuff you guys do for Nick's film school. When I need like that shot of Nick's optimism, and he just he always thinks the best of people. He thinks things are going to work out. And I'm the opposite. I don't know if it's just, you know, the years on this planet. You know, I'm, I'm a very much a realist in that way and that I, I, I'm kind of of the prepare for the worst, hope for the best type of mentality. And I just John just always sees the sunny side of the street. And, and, and I just I love that, which is why I, I open his newsletter after a bad game. Sometimes I'm like John's going to find that three minute period from Theo Pinson. That's going to make him feel better on the day after a game. And sometimes you need that as a Nick fan. You really do. So it's appreciated on this. And let me just tell you that. If you're a basketball junkie, then you know there's no better time of year than the NBA playoffs. Twice a week, J.J. Redick is cooking on his podcast, The Old Man and the Three. He has guys come on in all stages of their careers to talk about the league and share stories you won't hear anywhere else, including Devin Booker on why he talks so much trash, Ray Allen's epic free throw competitions with LeBron in Miami, and the moment Tyrese Halliburton knew Pascal Siakam would be a good fit in Indy. In addition to player interviews, every Monday, J.J. breaks down the top three things happening around the NBA with unmatched analysis, not outlandish takes, and is often joined by masterminds of the game like Tim Legler to dive deep on rookie reports, trade breakdowns, and why is mean mugging now a tech? You won't find another outlet that covers the game as comprehensively and with such insight as JJ does it on The Old Man and the Three. Make this your companion podcast during the playoffs. Listen to The Old Man and the Three ad-free on Wondery Plus or wherever you get your podcasts. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire. By famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady. Live only on Netflix. Moving on to football season. Um, so there are several Knicks fans listening to this who are also Giants fans, such as myself. Um, so 
I'll be honest. The question in front of me is which team would you tell uh, Giants and Knicks fans to be more excited about this coming season? But I'm actually going to pull an audible. Oh, okay. Football term there. Eh? I am going to ask John, why should I care about the Giants this year? I, I say that as a Giants fan, because I got to tell you, like it, personally, I have shifted further and further away from football. It's kind of lost my interest over the years. Used to be, I'd just sit in front of a TV every Sunday, watch for hours. And now it's a little less so. And, you know, I'm sure David Gettleman is partially a reason for why that's the case. But, but I, because I've been falling at a distance, what exactly should I be, or why should I be hopeful of the Giants? And what are some of the reasons for why that should be the case? Well, this is a big crossroads season for them, to be honest with you. A lot of what they've done the last three or four years, you're going to figure out this year if it's working. Um, the Saquon Barkley draft pick back from his injury. Daniel Jones heading into his third year. All these young offensive linemen that they're putting out there. Uh, Andrew Thomas, first round pick last year. Go back to Will Hernandez four years ago. Matt Parrott. Go down the list. You're going to see if these guys are really growing together. Throw in the free agent additions. The new guys, uh, Kenny Galladay, Kadarius Tony, their pick this year. Is everything going to come together and work? And I think offensively, they're extremely young. They have a lot of guys that are learning to play together. And a lot of ways we've seen with the Knicks the last couple of years, right? They're kind of growing together. You hope they come together and they put it together. We'll see when the regular season comes, if that happens. We don't know yet. And I think Daniel Jones has literally every physical tool you would want out of a quarterback. I did not think that when they drafted him. I've seen him on the practice field. He can make every throw. He's fast. He's a good kid. There's no reason not to want him to succeed. In a lot of ways, he, he approaches the game a lot like R.J. Barrett does, right? He's that type of person, that type of leader. So for me, that's why Giant fans should be excited. And that's the stuff that you don't know about, right? I think you should feel pretty good about the defensive side of the ball. They bring back a lot of the same guys. Their defense was good last year. Patrick Graham, I think, will probably be a head coach in this league in, in three or four years, maybe sooner than that. So I think the defense is going to be really good. And you get to see if all these young pieces on the offense can come together and some of the new guys, too, to really give you something to have fun with. And I think this is the first time since 2017 going into a year I felt really good that this team has a chance to really win the division. And I, I think they do. Certain things have to have, have to go right. They have to stay healthy. All those things that usually go into an NFL season, right? But they're just as talented as Washington. All around, I think they're just as talented as any other team in this division. You know, different teams with different strengths. But I do think if everything works out, and look, there's no guarantee that, that that's going to happen. They have a chance to win this division if things go well this year. Do you think that's more of a strength of the Giants perspective or more of an indictment of the competition in the division? Hey, look, it, I'm not going to lie to you. It, it, it's not a great division. Uh, I mean, a team last year made the playoffs under 500 and yeah. they won the division. So, you know, you aren't rolling the Packers and the Ravens and the Browns and the Steelers and, you know, look at the NFC West, go down the list. So, yes, it, it is as much of an opportunity as it is anything else. Like You could argue that they have a better chance of winning the division than, say, getting a wild card. I think that is a legitimate conversation to have. So, yeah, certainly. Um, when you break down a team's chances to make the playoffs in the NFL, you start the division. Half your schedule, I shouldn't say half, six out of 17 games, so just over a third come in your division. So, yeah, that matters. So, Part of the division is definitely part of that calculation for sure. Do you think, because from what I'm reading online and listening and whatnot, if it's it on the internet, like the, it has to be true. Well, it's, it's absolutely true. But um, it seems as though the offensive line, you 
called it young, which is accurate from what I know. Um, in terms of kind of like the Daniel Jones versus the offensive line conversation, because this is Daniel Jones's third year. Yep. It's usually the third year is when you start to maybe see more improvement for these guys. Is it kind of like a chicken and egg situation? Because you need a good offensive line for your quarterback to be good, but um, your quarterback also has to be good on his own and, and the offensive line in that factor. Do you, is there maybe one that's more fascinating than the other, especially because Saquon Barkley coming back from the torn ACL, he's going to need good blocking in front of him, find the paths. Where are we at with that? I am very much of a everything starts with an offense at the offensive line type of guy. Um, you don't have to be great, but you need to be around average, right? Like you don't want to have the 29th best offensive line, but if you have the 20th best offensive line, all right, that's fine. It just needs to be good enough for your offense to function. And I think that's where we're at. Uh, the worst thing that could happen is that if you're staring at this and you get to the end of the year and you're still not sure about the quarterback because what was happening in front of him wasn't good enough to get a read on him. That to me is, is the worst possible thing that can happen. I don't think that's going to be the case until this final preseason game where Andrew Thomas had had some issues at left tackle. I thought he was having a great summer and a great camp. Now we're going to find out if that was because of the, you know, the competition he was facing against and just the structure of practice, or if that's a bigger issue, we'll find out about that. But yes, I, I think in a lot of ways you need that offensive line for Daniel Jones to function. And as you guys know, NFL, it's all about the quarterback, right? So unless you have the quarterback, you're not there yet. And the Giants need to figure out if they have the quarterback and you hope to know at the end of this year, if you do or you're not, and to play the offensive line, will certainly have something to do with that. And now I guess the, maybe to put more of a bow on it. So the Giants also have the Chicago bears, 2022 first round pick looking at their quarterback competition, because I mean, if you're a Giants fan, you want the bears to go. Oh, and 17, you get, (laughs) of course, pick in the draft. Uh, And then if that's the case, you know, the Giants, if things go well, great. If things don't go well, we're back to tankathon, but on the NFL side of it, looking at that battle, do you want Andy Dalton to start? Do you want Justin Fields to start? If you're a Giants fan, is there a, a, a really a huge difference between the two since one is, uh, I guess you could probably a below average starter. The other is a rookie. Yeah. Look, I Justin field at some point is going to get in there, right? I mean, he just is whether or not it happens early in the year or late in the year. And when you take a look at the schedule, the Bears' schedule to start the year is, is they, they have to start against the Rams, right? That is a really, really good defense. So if I'm Chicago, do I say, hmm, maybe do I not want to throw him out there against the Aaron Donald? Yeah, I don't want to put my rookie. Look, if there's one thing about Justin Fields, he holds the ball a little bit too long. You don't want to do that against Aaron Donald. Then again, they play the Browns in week three, and here comes Miles Garrett. So I think the Bears are going to start the year with Andy Dalton. And he'll probably last about three weeks. They'll probably start the season one and two or two and two. To me, I think where you go is that if you're a Giant fan, I think the Bears are probably going to have a slow start to the year with the Rams and and the Browns will probably start the year one and two. They get the Bengals in week two. I don't really think it matters, to be honest with you, because Fields is going to find his way out there. I hate these people that scout quarterbacks on Twitter based on like a couple practice reps that some beat reporter puts on the internet and they say, Oh, look how good Justin Fields looks. Look at those two reps. It's fantastic. You know, you can, 
The thing about the NFL, guys, it's it's a lot more complicated than basketball, someone that covers both of them. There's so much involved in these NFL games. I could sit there and watch a whole practice and think a guy did great. I talk to a coach after practice, and he tells me, he said, that guy had a terrible practice because you don't know what they're supposed to do on each play. It's it's a much tougher thing to do. So, ah, look, root for the Bears to lose games, but who starts the season? I don't think it really matters. How good Justin Fields is when he eventually plays, I think that's what what kind of counts. Well, it's going to be hard for me. You know, I mean, I'm conflicted because on one hand, I, I personally want the Bears to lose, but Andy Dalton is a proud member of the ginger community and <laughs> we have to stand our own. So, um, but that's he's, my, he's not just a bear. member. He's like one of your leaders. I feel like, right. He's got to be. He has to be. Yes. I mean, I don't know how many other redheaded athletes there are. Clint Frazier is currently in concussion protocol. It seems for, is he really a redhead? I thought he was more like a, a Cali blonde surfer type. I think guy, Donald's I guess, a redhead, right? I think Sam Donald has red hair. No? Better question: Do I want to accept Sam Donald <laughs> as a redhead? Because he's, he's very good looking, but I don't know. That's just Herder, unfortunately. See, like this is the thing. I have to. I, I'm glad I have Clint Frazier on my team, but having to deal with Kevin Herder as well—that's that's tough. After this um, season, do you really want Clint Frazier on your team, though? It has not gone well for him this year. And again, that's another thing. I recognize that he's not the best option long-term, but <laughs> the hair color, that's all it is. Um, so John, in terms of, we, we do this every, you know, five to six months or so. We basically look at the teams in the New York area and kind of map out who's closest to a championship furthest away. So if we had to kind of start from closest to the championship, mm-hmm. listing the rest, I think it's pretty obvious that, at the top, closest to the championship, probably the Mets. Um, second, maybe the Jets. Uh, I would hate to be a fan of either of those teams, especially if I were a producer for this podcast. It'd be pretty rough. But, um, but in actuality, where do you rank on the ginger list, Jeremy? <laughs> on yours, clearly very yeah. low, but that's okay. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, safe to say the Nets, number one team in terms of championship contention. Yeah, I think so. And I think the Yankees have to be second, right? As much as they frustrated people this year, if they get hot at the right time with all those hitters, you know, they can make a run. The problem is that they can just easily go cold and get knocked out in the first round of the playoffs. That's kind of been the Yankee experience for the past, you know, 18 or so years since, you know, the, they went away from since that first, you know, th- you know, two sports series seem kind of split up because guys got old. So, mm-hmm. yeah, I think that's one, two. It has to be. After that, closest to a title? I mean, I wouldn't consider anybody after that close to a title, would you, where you think they're going to contend this year? I don't know anything about hockey, so you'll, 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 well, so you'll have to explain that to I me. I was going to say, uh, just I think the Islanders are probably a safe third, and I see this as a very big Rangers fan, just based on the fact that when you get to two conference championships, you know, two years in a row. Oh, see, yeah, see, I had no idea that happened. Yep. So I agree with you. That's, that's Exa- great. You know, but Good why would you? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> you know. Good for you. Islanders fans. Yes. Um, so that's our top three. And then, I mean, really what we've got are in some order for, I mean, football giants and jets, baseball, Mets, hockey, Rangers and devils, and then basketball, the Knicks. So it's tough, but I think I know, again, the- hockey's not the thing, but, I think the next two teams is some combination of Giants Knicks, right? I think the Jets have a ways to go here just because we don't know what Zach Wilson is yet. We haven't seen him play. Um, I think he's going to be a good player, but we don't know yet. 
And I think they're still a couple years of building away. And I think, you know, they've they got those extra picks with the Jamal Adams. Sure. I think they're in good shape to do that. They're just a couple years away. I think, I think the question you have to ask yourself, do you feel better about the young guys on the giants becoming that Super Bowl contending team? Or do you feel better about the unknown for the next, which is who are they going to be able to obtain? Right? So it's like, do you like the unknown or do you like the known? And you go from there because I think that's kind of where you're at with those two teams. I Could you put another team ahead of the Giants and Knicks at this point? I don't think you could, right? I really don't think I could. I mean, the Rangers, they're, they haven't really solved any of their problems. Uh, there's, I don't know if you know Jack Eichel up in Buffalo. He's a great player. He's been injured, but he wants to be traded because Buffalo has been a mess of a hockey franchise for ages. If he came to New York, maybe it's a little different, but I'm with you. I think that I probably lean more and maybe it's just because I'm a Knicks fan more than a Giants fan, but the what you're saying, the trust in that front office and how we know about getting a star or multiple stars, the path you can do it versus on the other side of the ball. I mean, sure, the, the Knicks didn't make the playoffs for eight years, but the Giants are entering year five of the Gettleman era and every year it seems the offense is going to improve because he keeps picking first round talent uh, that is on the offensive side of the ball. It doesn't seem to get better. So I, I think you have to go Knicks giant there and then maybe Rangers. And then it's really just Mets, Jets and Devils in some order. Yeah, I agree. And I, I think the Knicks are farther along too, right? I mean, the Knicks were the four seed last year, you know, say what you want about the East and mm-hmm. the bubble and, you know, and the crowd and all that stuff. They were still the four seed. The Giants have not, been in that playoff situation since 16. So they're certainly farther along. I agree with that. I think that's fair. <sighs> Baseball's weird. You know, baseball teams can kind of turn around on a dime. You know, you get a couple prospect come up, things like that. You spend some money in free agency. I just feel like there's so much variation for baseball teams year to year. I'd probably put the Mets next just for that reason, because you can see things change for a baseball team quickly. <sighs> I think if you're going for upside, you go Jets, but I think there's a lot of unknown there. But I think if I think just based on probability, I think Mets would probably be next in that mix, in my opinion. I think it's fair. I mean, DeGrom is the best pitcher on earth. And, you know, here's the thing. Like, I've seen a bad elbow, but that's okay. Yes. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Sorry, Andrew. Uh, well, Andrew's probably going to boo us if he didn't have his hands in his face or his face. Oh, dear and, by the way, and by the way, not for nothing. I didn't know Norse gods could get COVID. What, when did that start? Built the immunity. No vaccinated is, North gods. Yeah. This is why if I can amend your lists a little bit, today is not the day to ask me about the Mets and where they should rank. Uh, they're dead that, last. No, thumbs down. They're, no. they're very much on the way down, John. Okay. That's the worst part about this list is that probably you're right about baseball and that like realistically, the Mets have time to make a run. They probably on paper have the talent to make a run this yeah. season in a division that's been pretty mediocre all year. What we've seen over the last month is that the rot is in the walls. There is not much going right. well over at City Field to the point where the Players have apparently been booing the fans whenever they've done something well over the last month. And the manager, the general manager, the team president knew nothing about it. And the only reason we didn't pick up on it sooner is they only do it when something good happens. And over the last month, nothing good has happened. <laughs> well, it's the opposite, right? The Yankees had the thumbs down thing 
when they were did good things a few years put ago. Put him a win away from the World funny. Series. Yeah. Dude, what is Javi Baez doing? I mean, I don't get it, dude. The first rule when you're advising a player about this stuff, and I haven't worked PR, but I've been around enough people that have. You do not turn on your customer base. Nope. <laughs> you know, you, you, don't, you, don't, you know, you don't annoy the people that are buying tickets to what you do. Never a good plan ever. Period. That's like, uh, no, it would be like if all of a sudden, like we decided to make fun of all our Patreon customers. Yes. Just be right. like, oh, not see? A good idea. Yep. You know what? We're going to now give you a thumbs down every time you listen to one of our episodes. You know, <laughs> no, it's just bad. It's not just a bad baseball thing. It's like a bad business thing. Move it this way. You know? you know what happened to me if I opened up one of my Giants podcasts and started killing our season ticket holders? Yes. I'd be out of a job. <laughs> bye bye, John. Which <laughs> probably tells you what's going to happen. Javi Baez. Soon. Yes, probably. I right. have. Which, which only makes ahead, that Jeremy. trade look even worse because I, yeah. you, you trade for an impending free agent to kind of right the ship and make the playoffs. The, the Mets were in first place, right? When the trade was done. Mm-hmm. And now you're talking about a Mets team that's going to finish in third. Most of their wins in the month of August have come from against the Nationals. Mm-hmm. And Baez probably leaves because if you're re-signing him, you're basically just hoping that the fan base forgives but again like he's batting what just above 200 for his Mets stretch like that's yeah. you can't you can't boo the fans especially if you're doing that well, guys Lindor's worst they've committed to that dude yeah like that, he's because here. it's a 10-year commitment it makes it it I will say he had like a bad month and a half to start the year where he hit literally nothing like had Harvey Baez his contact rate the right. first month and a half and then Started to round out some more of his career averages, and defensively, he's still been great. So well, again, again, I don't mean he's worse as a player. I just the mean the fact that yeah. he is turning on the fans after committing to him for ten years. There's no, he's gone in two look. months. Not our problem anymore. <laughs> yeah. No, yes. So the Mets are last. Is where we're going with this. Just uh, appease me. The Mets need to be for last. you. Yes. Thank you. Can I? And jump of course, grab real, real quick with one suggestion for the list because yeah. you had. It interchangeable to Giants and Knicks could be four or five. I have a, a theory and having a Giants employee on. I don't know if you can comment on this or not, but I'll, I'll ask and you go either way. Sure. So like there's a quarterback in Green Bay that's going to spend his final season in Green Bay this year. The last dance. As, well, yep. the last dance is they've uh, campaigned it as, on as throughout the national media. The Giants, if they show this year that they're a quarterback away, what's to say that after Tom Brady just went to Tampa Bay, why can't the Giants quarterback next year be Aaron Rodgers? And if the defense is as good as it was last year, and the Giants are only a quarterback away. Why can't the Giants be the next closest to a title? Because Aaron Rodgers is going to be their quarterback next year. Here's the thing. Aaron Rodgers wants to be on the West Coast. He put he gave all those teams he wanted to get traded to. I don't think any of them were central time zone or eastward to be honest with you so i don't look i have no idea what the giants well, it was thinking. denver uh, las vegas right any Denver's the other one that would seattle maybe was on the list i think yeah i just think the a coast is more what they want is they want a bigger city like la or a bigger city like new york i think if you told shailene woodley you get to live in you know uh Dumbo for the next for all of football season. I think you'll be fine. You know, (laughs) hey, look, Aaron Rodgers is fantastic. So you never know. But Mm -hmm. the Giants, I will tell you this one thousand percent. The Giants believe Daniel Jones is the guy. Okay, they believe it. 
We're going to find out this year how right they are. Then they're five. (laughs) (laughs) Then they're number five, because I don't. (laughs) Yeah. Fair enough. Um, John, before we get you out of here. Yeah. um, Andrew has a fascinating opinion on the Giants, specifically on one player. Uh-oh. Yeah, no, you, you got gonna Andrew, trouble. Let you, I'm going to let you <laughs> no, you're introduce gonna get me in trouble. Are you? <laughs> I'm going to get Andrew in trouble because this is this is the plan now. Okay. Uh, Andrew, why don't you tell our friend John here? All right. What, what, what this, the situation is? I got no is. shame. OK, let's do this. So <laughs> the caveat I will give is that I feel I've been misunderstood with this opinion, John. And okay. I don't look when I I'm evaluating a player's Hall of Fame resume. I don't like to look at small sample sizes as especially when team accomplishments get brought into play. I like to look at the whole thing. Like if like Kevin Durant, if you're going to say, oh, he lost in the playoffs, he's a loser. It's like, well, we're talking about the matter of an inch and he hits one of the biggest game winning shots of all time. That's not an accurate depiction of his contribution to his team. We need to look at a bigger sample size. So when the Hall of Fame comes around for one Eli Manning, my hero, by the way, the reason that the Patriots didn't have an undefeated season by all my <laughs> friends in college that were Patriots fans that continued to give me crap were like, you know, had to shut up and eat all of my crow because you lost to Eli. That's he's, the quarterback that ended your season. He's the Brady stopper, baby. Bingo. Like he's going and like I acknowledge he's going to make the Hall of Fame. I just tend to look at the eight quarters of the Giants defense completely shutting down one of the best offenses I've ever seen. And I put that more toward the reason why the Giants won, but you can't give an entire defensive line Super Bowl MVP. So when I hear, of course, Eli's a Hall of Famer, he won two Super Bowls and two Super Bowl MVPs. That's not a good enough argument. I look at his larger sample size where the career has some compiled yards and, and stuff. He's in the top 10 on some lists, which I get, but like Matt Ryan's going to pass him in yards this year. I don't think Matt Ryan's a Hall of Famer. Right. So all that to say, I've, I mean, CP and I have more gone back and forth on this, that Eli Manning is not a Hall of Famer when you really look at him, take away the two Super Bowls. And he's like, the argument is the two Super Bowls. No, that, well, they, I know. I, th- I, I think both of you guys are right, right? Okay. I, I think if you take away the two Super Bowls, I think then, sure. And is it I understand the argument. Do you put a guy in the Hall of Fame based on the shoulders of eight games? Right. This is not fair to just say the two Super Bowls. They had to get there. Right. And one year they had to win three games on the road to get there. And the other game that year, they win two games on the road, one against a 15 and one Green Bay team in Green Bay. And then a 14 and two 49 er team or 13 and three in San Francisco. Mm-hmm. So they beat some really good teams on the way to those two Super Bowls. Now, the first one. I think Eli was kind of more along for the ride, right? The Giants defense was fantastic in 2007. And Eli, did we need to do? If you look at his playoff numbers, I think he had one turnover in four games that year. In the Super Bowl, too, yeah. Correct. And then you look at 2011, when you get a second, even throughout the entire season, look at Eli Manning's fourth quarter stats in 2011. It's he almost threw 20 touchdowns just in fourth quarters. It was one of the most clutch seasons you've ever seen. And In the playoffs, he did the same thing. I think he had one turnover in four games and he played extremely well. Eli does not have your classic look at the numbers over a long period of time, compare them always in because of the, you know, the whole totality of the of of what he did. He's going to get in because when 
they played in big games. That's when he played his best football. He's almost like has the bit of a Derek Jeter effect, right? Where you look at the regular season numbers, Mm -hmm. they don't like blow you away, but against the better teams in the most important moments, he played his best football. And I do think that counts availability guy never got hurt, played in every game that counts. Mm-hmm. That counts for something. And then just throw in the fact that the two Super Bowl championships, it's such a hard thing to do. And you look at the greatness of that 2011 season on its own, which I think if you look at it is kind of an MVP caliber season uh, overall, the, by far the best season of his career. I think in totality, all that puts him in. But I do understand the argument where you say, all right, well, why am I just counting eight games more than the other 200 that he played? I don't understand that. Why would you do that? But that's how sports, I think, works. Um, For the more mathematically inclined, I get the argument. Mm -hmm. But I'm biased. I love that dude. Like, he's just the best. Like, uh, he's just like, there's nothing phony about that guy. What he is, is he is. And he was always... I've never seen somebody not let anything get to him like that guy. Like mm. he's the dog in the meme with the fire around him. And this he's sitting in a cup of coffee. Just <laughs> man, I don't know. Well, it's fine. It'll be okay. And you trust him in those spots. You just do. Even in 2016, when the giants had that really good team, they made the plus played the Packers in the first round, right? Eli Manning lit them up that game. His receivers dropped three passes. Two mm-hmm. for touchdowns. They should have won that playoff game because he was great in the playoffs again. So that's why he's in for me. But I do get where you're coming from on your argument. It's very much just a like has Hall of Fame moments. Didn't have a Hall of Fame career. Like the highs I are get high. the argument. Yep, mm-hmm. that's that's all my th- and look if I if he did it in 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 green, I would absolutely like be as passionate about the other side. Uh, probably if, if he did it for my team. Um, yeah. But, so giant fans, please leave me alone. You just heard a voice of the Giants say like he understands my side of things. Which, don't, don't don't agree with it. Mind don't you, agree with understand. it. I know. But like it's <laughs> the things of like you're stupid. You don't know what a good quarterback looks like. Mark, how's Mark Sanchez doing these days? Like that's the thing I, I have to let. So because I know what mediocre looks like and I see it happening in in uh in on the Giants, I'm not allowed to make an opinion. So. Well, I would say I would say this. Dude, I think to define his career as mediocre. No, no, no. I think I it's just, a little I, strong too. Yeah. I, it's more just that's my response is what I usually. I got do. you. When I Giant fans throw that at me. He has Hall of Fame moments, which is something Mark Sanchez has none of. And I'm acknowledging Mark Sanchez might be the best quarterback I've ever watched play for my football team. <laughs> so, which is I know a sad statement. Please, Zach Wilson, be the guy. But. Anyway, Vinny Testaverde, man, come on. He had a great for year a season, 99 for a season. Yep, and then, season. you know, week one down goes Vinny down goes the Achilles. And what was supposed to be our year goes out the window. You know, now you we're going. Me, are you telling me there isn't like nuanced argument on Twitter? I, I mean, that's I know, right? To me, man, right? <laughs> we have we, can't make, we, we have to make absolutes. It's either you're wrong or you're right. You can't look at <laughs> full context when it comes to arguing. Right. What do you know? <laughs> anyway, thank you, Jeremy, for putting me on the spot there. I appreciate that. Just light them of up, course. Cole, and I like it. Light them yes. up. Uh, yes. Have to. And also, I mean, Eli Manning goes to Melbourne, Delhi, so he's Hall of Fame in my mind. It's a great, it's a great place to be. So uh-huh. um, kudos to him. And, uh, you know, again, I've seen two throws of Zach Wilson's. So, John, you know, I know how much that uh, 
it gets you excited about how I casual fan watch two throws of Zach Wilson. Not impressed. You know, I think guys <laughs> not impressed. Might, John, might you, be a bust just I think based on we, what I saw. As we wrap up, John, do you do you have a take on Zach Wilson? Am I in good hands finally? You know, it's funny. I do so much draft work every year. Like okay. I watched, I literally try to watch 150 players heading into each draft, and I have like four months to do it. But I knew the Giants weren't picking a quarterback this year. I did not watch any of the quarterbacks heading into this year's draft because for me to do a fair, honestly, for me to do a fair evaluation of a quarterback, I think that's like two or three days worth of work because I don't like to just put on some highlights and say, I think this guy's pretty good. I really want to watch like three or four full games, watch all his third down passes, like all that sort of stuff. And I decided I'd rather watch like 30 other guys than try to watch like the six quarterbacks just because it wasn't giant centric. But Talking to people that have done the work on him, I've heard some good things. Mm-hmm. Let me, I'll leave it at that. I think you should feel pretty good about it. Then again, I love Sam Darnold. I thought he was, he was my, I did do a lot of work on him. He was my favorite quarterback in that class. I think your organization did him a great disservice mm-hmm. the last few years. I hope he does really well in Carolina. So you could take my opinion with a grain of salt because I thought he was going to be fantastic. Oh, that's what's going to happen. He's going to go to Carolina, <laughs> be a top five MVP candidate. They'll make the playoffs. And Wilson will, you know, be on a six and I, I hate that there's 17 games, a six and 11. That's weird. That's record, I know. Right? It's weird. I'm, okay. I'm not, I'm not going to get used to that. It's a big problem. So what I've tried to trick my brain into doing is March Madness is like it's now the seeds. So it's one fifteen two mm. four. Uh, see, yeah, one sixteen two fifteen. Ooh, that's you know a good trick. I like that's a really good trick actually. Like it, it takes a minute to get used to it, but now okay. So if we have five wins, it's five twelve four thirteen three, like eight that's, nine. Yeah, yeah dude, that so. that's good. Oh, I'm gonna totally use that trick. That yeah. was that, that's really good. That's on like the house. It. There you go. <laughs> no, um, Andrew redeeming himself. After I know, right? Time. <laughs> five minutes ago <laughs> wonderful there we go um well john thank you so much for stopping by i really appreciate the conversation had a great time um the floor is yours anything you'd like to plug tell the people i mean they know from the beginning of the pod where they can find you but tell them again yeah guys giants podcast network uh check it out giants mobile app giants.com slash podcast all of your favorite podcast platforms we have our daily live show big blue kickoff live we take calls for an hour every day talking giants Giant Total Podcast is kind of our interview podcast. We just launched a special uh, 10th anniversary podcast called the All In NYG Podcast, celebrating the 10th anniversary of Super Bowl 46. Our first episode was literally an hour conversation with Eli Manning and Justin Tuck. No host. Just those two guys talking for an hour. It's pretty awesome. We have another episode drop in uh, the week before uh, this upcoming week before Labor Day. I'm not sure if we I'm not sure if I'm allowed to say what episode it is, but there's a bunch of big guys that will be talking to each other. That's a large group of players. I think you can kind of figure it out from there. It's a lot of fun. I listened to the raw audio. There's going to be a lot of editing there to make it to make it good for air. But it's a lot of fun. It's very entertaining. Make sure you guys check that out. And then, of course, for Nick fans out there, the bank shot, you can find it on Odyssey.com, WFN.com. Um, I'm on a bit of a hiatus right now. I'm taking about two weeks off as we get ready for the NFL season. Knicks will probably be quiet. Do you guys know when this camp open? Do we know that, by the way, yet, guys? Do we know when camp opens for the Knicks? Is October Anything? 6th, Jeremy, I think it is. And then Something preseason's like October 10th. Both oh, of those wow. numbers are, both of those numbers are probably days. wrong. Well, it's probably, so. it might, they might start in September. Honestly, I, I haven't even really checked. I've just yeah, neither have I. So, I'll now, take so. A, so we're taking a few weeks off is the bottom line. Yeah. <laughs> we'll be back at some time near the end of September. But make sure you guys check out the archive. We've had some good guests on. And uh, just appreciate you guys do. Look, you guys do great work over there at film school. You guys really do. You do a real service to Nick fans. Keep up the good work. 
tell Macri to unpack those boxes, man. I mean, his kids are looking for their toys. You know, they're sitting there. They're disappointed. T- tell him to get to work, man. I mean, come on. He's got to clean those boxes out quicker. I know it's tough work, but geez, come on, Macri. John, John Macri, the magic is in the work. Get those boxes unpacked, man. <laughs> there you well go. Well done. <laughs> thank you. Uh, John Schmuelk, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you, guys. Big thanks to John for coming on today's show. Guys, if you dug this episode, do us a gigantic favor. Head on over to iTunes. Drop a five-star rating and a review. We'll be back on Friday with one more episode minus Macri. And then John, of course, will make his big return to the show on Sunday slash Monday. Until next time, thank you for listening. Stay safe out there, and we'll speak with you soon. Peace out. Peace out.